Good morning and a happy Monday to you folks. It is a brand new week, a fabulous week. I can already tell deep in my bones it is going to be a fantastic week and I know you're going to have one too. Right now I'm traveling on the road so my work-life balance is completely in jumbles. And you know what? I'll be honest, my job security is always just an illusion, but I'm grateful because I'm constantly moving forward, focusing on those things that keep me grateful throughout the day. I get to go home to see my son. There's so many things to be grateful for. I challenge you to just write one thing down each day this week. That's it. On a sticky note, write one thing down that you were grateful for throughout the day. And at the end of the week, you're going to be amazed at the amazing week that you just had. Folks, have a fabulous week. Now let's get this Monday going. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. And a happy Monday to you folks. Play hard, work hard, morning show. My name is Jason Spies, all by myself here in the hotel room as I get ready to go back to the Bakken Shale play in route from the Permian. Yesterday was in Oklahoma City. We're going to in Kansas today, actually. Wichita, Kansas. And we're going to be back in North Dakota tomorrow. Now, here's what we got going on today. In just a moment or two, we're going to hand the baton off to Sean Forbes with OG Directory and myself, Jason Spies, as we were live from the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners annual cook-off. We were down there for Thursday last week, collecting interviews, partaking in the festivities and all the reindeer games. I'd like to thank Derek Clark as well as other members of the committee for arranging it. Of course, Derek was my point of contact. That's why I mentioned him by name, Adam Perkins, everybody else down there as well. Thank you very much for the hospitality. Wonderful time had by all. And, of course, we'll be handing the baton off in just a moment, handing the microphone off in just a moment or two. But I did want to preview a little bit what's going on this week because it is World Shale Energy Day coming up on March 17th. Wednesday this week, so folks, check out the crudelife.com or one of our social media pages. We're going to have, you know, squares or skins or whatever memes, whatever they're called, promoting World Shale Energy Day. So March 17th, first day of, I believe it was the first frack is, is the reason for March 17th. We'll have an interview with Jim Shearer coming up this week to talk more about World Shale Energy Day. Also coming up, Trisha Curtis later on in this program with Petro Nerds. And who else do we got? Israel Aguirre coming up and Sean Forbes, Joel Brown later this week. Mario Vargas, Amigo Pipe and Equipment. Oh boy, we've got a jam-packed week already. Plus, I still got a thousand miles to drive. So it is a long day ahead of me, folks. Let's get the party going here. Let's take a quick pause when we come back. Sean Forbes, Jason Spies from the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners Annual Cookoff. My name is Jason Spies, flying solo for just a little bit until we go to the recorded interview. How to give. I don't need- 
interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by Blackwater Environmental is a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience, offering inspections, consulting, coding failure analysis, specification writing, and coding application services, along with many other services for energy, oil, gas, and municipalities. Blackwater Environmental was started in Moorcraft, Wyoming, but has grown to a larger facility in Gillette, Wyoming, where they provide a better quality of service for their customers. For more information on Blackwater Environmental, check out their website, blackwaterenviro.com. That's blackwaterenviro.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to gam.ai. That's Great American Mining, gam.ai. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. My name is Jason Spee. Sean Forbes sitting next to me. Now, I'm not even sure how to pronounce the first name here. Try it. Let's see. Maya. <laughs> Myra. Myra. Yes, sir. Vargas. Vargas. See? There With we go. Not a B. Myra Vargas. I will admit I've tried to tag you a couple times on LinkedIn, and I did not know how to spell your first name. Most people spell it with a Y. Why? Oh, thank God. Yeah. Okay, I didn't feel like a total idiot. No, okay. but my mom is unique, so she spell it M-A-I-R-A. That would the be my. the Spanish pronunciation spelling, yes. Myra. Or I get Maria all oh. the time. And I knew that was not right. No, because the I is before the R. And I knew it was close to Myra. Or, I'm sorry, Maya. Maya. That's, but that's but I knew it wasn't Maya. Yes. <laughs> Hey, Mom, mom's how you over doing? Here laughing mom's at here us. going, oh, yeah. thanks for judging me on my name selection. <laughs> <laughs> I just processed that right now, like, yes. how much of assholes we are right in front of your mom. <laughs> she was like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I Sorry, was. Mom. Was you're, her name is almost like Maria. <laughs> yeah, no, really. yeah. 
Did you just misspell it on the birth certificate? I'm not supposed to tell everybody that. The truth comes out now. All right. So, but Amigo is your company. Yes, Amigo Pipe and Equipment. Okay, so talk to us about that. We have been around since 1994. I joined the company, I would say, about six years after I graduated high school. And we've been in business till then. Family-owned business, me and my dad. What do you guys do? Heavy haul, hot shot, we third-party rig moves, um, pipe hauls, pretty much any transportation need, we can can help you out. Hot shots. Yeah, um, I need, like, equipment you need to haul out. Pipe, do you guys haul pipe? Yes, tons of it. Yeah. That's a niche. Like, and it's cool that you guys are diversified because you need special trucks to move special types of equipment. You need low boys, you need trucks that can Step haul beds, like beds. certain weight requirements oh yes you know especially with the heavy hauls like if you want to big move big compressor packages and things like that i think the best thing that i've loved about this is going to watch a full-blown rig move a rig move. moves are sexy oh my <laughs> goodness they're like i would think you wouldn't need a degree no it's awesome yes like in the actual webster's apart, definition yeah. and put it all back together so many pieces of equipment you need cranes yes. you need do you guys do cranes too or no, is that a third not another yet, party we are service looking into it in the future yeah yes i tell people like kids especially that have you ever been to the grand canyon have you ever been to you know uh, uh mount saint or what is it uh mount rushmore you know, these like bigger than life things where there's an actual scientific study that says it's awe effect, awesome. Mm-hmm. There's, when you're at a mountaintop, there's just this certain elevation feeling you have, you know, in your spirit and everything else. That's all I get when I see one of those rig moves. Like the actual, just the whole logistics and everything involved. It's like a musical. It's like a musical. And there's then when so you see many moving walk, parts to it. When I saw one walk for the first time, oh, I yeah. thought, oh my God, I'm living in the Transformer age here. Yes. That thing's going to turn into an Autobot. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and my dad is a forklift operator, too. So he actually is in with tearing it apart, loading trucks up and go, load and go, load and go. But it's amazing what they do. It like, is. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load, go. And I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. I mean, this is some really large equipment. Oh, extremely. Hundred thousands of pounds. And, we're it's, hauling. There's, and it's risky, too. So you guys have to be Safety safe. Safety is number one. And qualified. And the guys out there need to... It's like a like a, a million moving parts. And everybody has to be in sync and coordinated. That's the awesome part about it yeah. is that everybody knows their role. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the big part. Because if one person messes their role up, the whole oh. thing goes... It could set and us people back might a die. Day. Oh yeah, it yeah. could set us back a day in injury. Also, like it, it takes a lot. I mean, I see my guys out there, and I'm like, wow. I'm very grateful to have the crew I have right now helping us out. Very, yeah. very grateful for them. Yeah. So, amigo, is that is that because of the? My dad, he just always he was always amigo, amigo, and then now he's like, you know what? One day I'm gonna I'm gonna name my company that. That's and awesome. It's like, one day you're gonna have a company. Wow. Okay. Because he was a diesel mechanic for so long, and then he sure got his company going. And then once I was old enough to join, that's when we started. I started the heavy haul division for him. So how did your dad start the business? Um, he started working for a company called Brit Trucking, which they're probably no longer around anymore from what I heard. And um, he was a diesel mechanic for them, and they asked him if he wanted a lease on a couple of trucks. So he leased on a forklift and a flatbed. And from there, 
we were working for them and then when the owner of Brit Trucking passed away the new owner came in or the man that took over and he did away with all of our leases so he deleased all of the owner operators so then he was kind of upset and like what am I going to do and then I was like well let's start our own he goes well if you can do it let's do it and that was a challenge so once we started it from there we just kept going and you got your first break in what what basin here here in the Permian yes here in the Permian basin yeah yes we're local we've been here for 27 years and can't get away from this area I'll tell you that incredible are you guys specific to the Permian or do you branch out no, to other basins are, well most of our rig moves are going to be in this area but I mean we've gone into Oklahoma Louisiana all over Texas New Mexico um gone to Colorado I think a couple times and that's pretty much as far Arizona we've been in Arizona deliver lots of pipe over there in the past yeah, so you're not limited to where you guys can provide services? No, we, I mean, we can go in all 50 states. Just sometimes to get a driver, I don't want to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> it's the big problem because sometimes it's not well with their families when they're long hauling like that. Yeah. And for you, you have a family? Yes, ma'am. I have four kids. And you work in the oil field? You have four kids? Yes, and yeah. a grandson. No. <laughs> we'll I not accept that. I have one that just recently joined the Navy. She's in intelligence. She's an officer in the Navy now. So I never know where she's at or what she's doing because it's so classified. Congratulations. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And then my other daughter, she's kind of part-time sales for us right now. And then my other ones are still in school. So I have You have children old enough to be employed. Oh, yeah. 23 and 22. And I suppose as grandchildren, I guess I just <laughs> am displaying yes. my idiocracy here. And Myra looks like she's 30. So she's doing something right. She's gorgeous. That's, I mean, uh, did I make I'll that apparent? You, you see, where would she go? Your mom left us. I was like, that's why. I was your mom on your is mom. a very off. attractive lady. <laughs> I was like, I guess she's a I very attractive my lady. Both look very young. Yes. Everybody's always seen. Oh my god, your dad is so handsome. I'm like, okay. Then all the men are like, oh my god, your mom is so pretty. So I'm like, now you know where I get it from. <laughs> I asked her for her digits. She slapped me in the face. There they are. <laughs> oh my. Digits, right? <laughs> that's a digits. Because. <laughs> <laughs> oh, her oh. Oh, everyone. I'm like, oh, that shit, strike did I six. <laughs> Her mom is Michaela. She's, you know, five foot what? And apparently <laughs> doesn't like it when young men ask her her phone number. Hispanic, gorgeous. <laughs> you know. Taught me everything I know, her and my dad. <laughs> good work ethic, uh-huh. good moral, everything. So you guys are primarily down here for geography reasons. We'll go to the southern parts. Have you ever gone up to, like, Colorado or... Anywhere I've north? been up there a couple times to deliver loads of pipe. Usually when it's just like loads of pipe and maybe small machinery, we'll go up there. So who, all, we really don't. Not yet. So who's your customer? You know, because it's this is a very diverse industry and you never know. And it, could, do, it can be one person. It can be everybody or it can be four, you know. I do a lot of work over rigs. And then I do a lot of pipe hauling for Petrosmith out of Abilene. They keep us very busy. Oh, okay. Good yeah, I mean, people over there. Yeah, I mean, she could work for, you know, upstream companies, drilling companies, yes. doing drilling rigs, or just day-to-day moving equipment. So if they have, you know, a skid package and they need to move it from here to there, or equipment. And then midstream companies, if you need to buy pipe, they can haul pipe. So they're not really limited to the area of operations in oil and gas. No, ma'am. Well, we can. Do you ever get asked what is hot shotting? Not all the time. You said deadheading, but that's not. I know because uh, be- they do, and it's. Like- I come from like the non-oil and gas, right? I've only been in a ten years, right? And so we called that deadheading before. Oh, and 
And then, of course, it's hot shotting here. And so I I just, I wondered if you ever get asked that. And see, whenever. I like hot shotting better than deadheading. Well, I would say. (laughs) Well, okay. We, um, since I'm in the rig moving industry a lot, we have this big piece of equipment called the tandem, which pretty much tears the whole rig apart and hauls like really heavy. So it's a humongous piece of equipment. And whenever I first started all this and with hot shotting, they would ask me, do you have a tandem? And then I would give them the price. They're like, you're charging, you know, so-and-so amount for it. That is absurd. And then I was like, well, I mean, it's hauls heavy, heavy stuff. I wouldn't charge that. Oh, wait a minute. He goes, like, I'm talking about just the regular big truck. I was like, oh, so there's... <laughs> like, so I need you to move a, a, a skid. Yes, like, it's so... <laughs> or a ma- pallet. It's just so like a pallet. Names, so it's kind of like, it just depends, like, what company you're dealing with. If they deal with the smaller stuff or the bigger stuff that they use different verbiage and description of trucks and vehicles. But it gets tough sometimes because I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Would you say you all do roustabout type of work, too? No, we don't. Okay. We're mostly in the trucking of it yeah, yeah. well we roustabout sometimes has like trucking like a little bit of mm-hmm. you know just transporting little things from here and there and they do a lot of work actually on the rigs and we don't do any of that we okay. don't do repairs or any type of work on the yeah. rigs so don't call her for little stuff <laughs> <laughs> no we can haul everything <laughs> Pallets, just oil and gas or are you outside of the oil and gas at all um we currently have a project going on in El Paso where we're doing like roads and belly dumps and getting in a municipality yeah um hauling machinery up there so we're currently a little bit busy with that right now no that's what I was wondering because I'm finding a lot of companies that worked specifically oil and gas before they're getting kind of a, a, a government contract or a third party through a government contract type of a job to kind of get them through oh yeah and if that's what's available go get it folks Go get Absolutely. it. Well, Diversify. We do, Diversify. We, we do actually do have. Hell, <laughs> hell survive. <laughs> we sell tons of structural pipe, all kinds of sizes for welders, ranchers. I mean, we do oh, have. Oh, really? Yes, we do. We have a lot Is that of a it. different name of the business? No, or? it's the same thing. Oh. Yeah. So you s- so sell beams and like rebar maybe? Uh, no, just mostly the pipe like structural stuff. Structural Like 18 inch, 24, 26. Like, a lot of welders use it to do their projects and stuff, to build cattle guards or ranchers to fence all their acres of land and stuff like that. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. We also do that. Because hmm. your, na- your company name is Pipe and... And Equipment. Yes. And Equipment. So what well, is the equipment side? That's originally yeah. what it was, just equipment and, and, like, the pipe and all that stuff. And then uh, we used to do a lot of flow lining as well. And and then that's then we diversified into the trucking. We've been doing it huh. since then, too. How are you feeling? Good. Had some surgery. We don't have to get into that. That yet, some personal <laughs> surgery, non-work related, just yes. health-wise, he- health-wise, Wayne and Gray, non-cancer health-wise. We almost got to yes. say that in today's day and age. strong and out and about. Yes, can't laugh Taking too it hard. Easy. Can't drive yet, so I've never chauffeur. <laughs> oh, is that why your mom's here with you today? Well, she's been with me this whole time. I'm so blessed that she has been my biggest support system. She has been by my side through this whole. Yeah process of what she tells you sounds like you're her wing woman now yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. so uh talk to me a little bit about that because how long were you laid up after surgery um i went into surgery february 24th and the first week i could say was very agonizing pain and i had a little side effect from it 
So we had to get that cleared up, and I think that's what made it worse. I think the side effect was worse than actually the surgery. That's okay. what did it for me. Oh, no. How about with um, when it came to, like, work and stuff like that? Were you finding yourself trying to... <gasps> well, I mean, everybody's working at the palm of their hand now. They got a cell phone and a computer. I was on my deathbed yeah. putting out radio shows, so I get it. Figure out how to stay in touch with people. Oh, you yeah. Know? Even through diversity or sickness or whatever. I'll tell you what, technology is awesome because that phone is like your life is in that phone. It can do anything nowadays. Yeah. I mean, so, some people look down upon billing. it, but <laughs> it is what it is. Some people, that's that, every day they work, it regardless like, if they're on their deathbed, hospital bed, or doesn't matter. That's just what they got going. You lose that phone and you're like, yeah. oh my God, like you lost a kid or something. It's, yeah. every, your whole life is in a phone. I realize that. Well, you were active a little bit during your your surgery and bedriddenness and everything else. I think else, for so. the first four or five days I was actually stuck in bed. I didn't really yeah. do anything. I couldn't. I just didn't want to push it and risk like internally damaging something. So I had to really take my time and I'm a very outgoing sociable person so that was really terrible on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I assume your your place of employment, your family owned business was cool with all this? <laughs> well... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> The only reason, it, it was unfortunate, it really was, you know that saying when it rains it pours? Mm-hmm. Well, it, oh, yeah. it, it didn't it didn't turn out good because Monday morning, my safety guy, which is like, he's like my right hand man, he calls and says, I have something to tell you. And I'm, you know, he was just so out of it. And I go, what's going on? His mom passed away. Oh. So dealing with my surgery schedule on Wednesday and then his mom passing at the same time and having to go out of town because his family lives near Lubbock. I mean, that was a really hard time on the company because we're the two the only ones that do all the billing and dispatching. So it was we went through a really tough time at the company. But I'm very grateful that our customers were very understanding. And, you know, they we were behind on, you know, some of the... I never things. thought of that. That's going to be hard because, you know, at the end of the day, I suppose, what, what, what you had was an elective as opposed to, like, non-life-threatening. No. Well, it's I, not. It was an elective. Like, the doctor, I had to. Oh, they did. Okay, yes, okay. I had to have... Before it turned into a serious, you know, cancer or anything like that, right. I had, it okay. had to, Yes. Because I've heard of surgeries where they're like, you know, they scheduled six months in advance and then... No, this was scheduled know, like three weeks ahead of time. Oh, so this yes. was like yes. they... Okay, so this was a very uh, aggressive preventative, we'll call yes. it. Yes, it yeah, was. Yeah, okay. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. And you're fine now? Yes. Okay. I'm out here. Well, you're here, but so <laughs> am I, and I'm never fine, but... I'm out here and no drinking for six weeks, so... There goes that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're half okay. You're healthy and you're recovering. That's the most important part, yes. Because yeah. that would slow down my recovery process, and I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> well, anything you want to make sure we mention before, you How know, we... How do people we, uh, get a hold of you if they want to hire your services? I'm also on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm LinkedIn. They're Myra Vargas. M-A-I-R-A. Yes. <laughs> v with a V like in Victor. A-R-G-A-S. A lot of people tend to spell the B like Vargas. I don't know why. Oh, I know how to spell your last name, but not your first name. Yeah, I a lot screw of that up say, every time. Oh, B, like a boy, I'm like, no, V, like Victor. <laughs> Vargas. Yes. I've actually gone on LinkedIn and done the uh, uh, at and started spelling your name just so I knew how to spell your name. <laughs> I'm not lying. I, I, it's, <laughs> You're uh, not the only one. I have so many people like that would message me or write me stuff, you know, a lot of support and stuff. And they say Maria. But yeah. I mean, I, it's 
to me it's not polite to correct that especially when they're being so supportive for something yeah you know i just you can't fault like, that yeah, yeah that's what their intention was just like Absolutely. hey by the way yeah. my name is myra and now yeah. that's going to cost you 10 percent my last name is speece i mean so we get that mispronounced i say speece constantly I say speece. and the not federal speece. government called spies. me spice that's normal i, I get spies, spies all the time but to have the government call you spiss Oh, no. That's just one letter away from piss. <laughs> I said spice, though. So. That's yeah. normal. <laughs> but anyway, so. What's yeah. your phone number and email address? Websites, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, my number is 432-438-1848. And my email is m, like in Myra, dot Vargas at amigopipe.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we are currently working with a web designer to get our website up and running as well. Call Myra. They'll move your shit. Yep. <laughs> we can move all of it. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. So there's still people without power as of this morning. You know, right now, I think there's very limited driving out there in West Texas. They're generating about 5% of the power today uh, in, in Texas. Sensitive microphone because I just poured a glass of water because we don't have running water here yet. I mean, this, is, this has been uh, a very trying week for a lot of people across the state of Texas. Uh, there are, and let me just say this, I, I'm sorry that so many Texans were let down by their grid. On the phone talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipe and pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities uh, lines in Texas. So we have a lot of, and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It, it is a very challenging day in Texas right now. Uh, the grid operator is projecting that nearly three million homes in Texas uh, are without power today. Uh, and, and there's- It's our snowy here in Lubbock again. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I thought it was supposed to be sunny today. So I'm from Odessa, and 
that's a big part of my district, but I also represent, uh, in addition to Hector County, uh, three other counties in the Permian Basin. So Andrews County, Hector County, Ward County, and Winkler County, but uh, all, all in West Texas, all in the middle of the oil patch. You know, when they close the roads down, we can't transport that, that those uh, those materials. And so we can't get the product to uh, where it needs to go to get refined so that we can either one, heat our homes, or two, uh, have fuel for our vehicles. Um, with pipelines, that doesn't really come into effect. You know, once the pipelines are laid, not much can stop that that crude oil or uh, natural gas from getting from point A to point B. They are so far behind the curve on getting the storage, the battery storage, uh, in place to be, even be able to handle a, 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 the, in, you know, the most minute degree of storage for a case like what happened in Texas. And now, it, you know, there's going to be a spotlight on that. And just an incredible impact we saw nearly 30 gigawatts uh, come offline yesterday. Half of the lodge went without water since Saturday. On Friday, the Railroad Commission uh, took quick action. I know you recently had Chairman Craddock on. We'll have water for until 5 p.m. and then we'll be off again for the night. On Friday, I sent a letter asking the Public Utilities Commission of Texas to rescind its order authorizing uh, these uh, uh, generator, these generators or these providers to increase the rates. You know, I don't know that's true, but I don't think I'd want to be in a hospital in Dallas, Texas on, a, on life support and know that wind energy is going to be my source of keeping that machine running, right? JP Warren reporting from uh, Houston, Texas at 9, 12 a.m. Uh, I don't know what day it is right now. I think it's Wednesday. Uh, we ran out of water yesterday. I've had maybe three hours of sleep in three days. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. This is Sean Forbes with TeamForbes.com and OGDirectory.com. I have Jason Spies here as my co-host, and we also have... Israel Aguirre here with TRC Construction. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm good. We're here at the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners annual cook-off. And there's been a lot of amazing barbecue here today. There's been a lot of amazing barbecue. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. The uh, Pipeliners Association, that's exactly where I'm from. I'm a pipeliner by trade. And a pipeliner is how I'll probably die. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you started out as a welder in your I, career. I am. I, uh, by trade, I am a welder. Um, I broke out uh, 12 years ago. Um, now moved up to uh, general superintendent. Now I'm an operations manager at TRC. And I'm proud to say that uh, a lot of people get the opportunity but don't actually advance at it. And, and you know, it's just, it is what it is, you know. And I, now I'm here. I'm taking it. Taking it by, I'm taking the bull. By, I'm grabbing the horns by the bull. The bull by the horns. There you go. Something <laughs> like that. How'd you get to be a welder? Um, that's so a, that's a very difficult job for nowadays. It for is a kid to do after high school. It is. Uh, uh so I, I I actually took welding in high school. You did. Uh, yes. You introduced to it in high school. Yes. Great. Uh, okay. So my 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 background is that uh, my dad is a carpenter, and so I took wood shop. I just thought it would be easier, e easy yeah. A, you know. Okay, so you got some trade in the family. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
And the following year, uh, the the teacher uh, said, hey, uh, you should try metal workshop, you know, the following year. And I did. Uh, I liked it. Um, Mr. Klattenhoff introduced me to a lot of cool stuff. You know, I wanted to advance in the welding trade, and, and I did. You know, I came out here. And, that, and that's pretty easy to do here in the in the in West Texas in the Permian Basin. You know, we have a lot of uh, a lot of welders out here, so it's pretty easy to do. I, I say that, but there was a lot of good help that I had. Uh, Ernest Galindo is well respected guy in the area. Uh, William Mosby, another well respected gentleman that worked for BJB. Uh, so I had a lot of help moving up, and I and I do appreciate you know how people can just help people. You know, and, that, and that's what we're all about in oil and oil field and oil community people helping people you know these uh these events these we we look around and it's just to us it's just cookouts and having fun and all that but it's networking it's we're it's helping each other with people exactly. and getting to know people exactly. and talking to them about your services like so tell us what you guys do uh trc we we specialize in the permian basin we specialize in pipeline and facility work from grassroots all the way up turnkey you know yeah, yeah we just do all the construction even even maintenance you know ili we do we do things like that um dave sanders he was with us uh here at this tent um and he specializes in i and e so you know long story short we do a little bit of everything in construction uh nothing too big nothing too small for trc you build homes we we can build homes. No kidding. <laughs> I'm just wondering with a name like TRC Construction. Have you ever gotten somebody say, do 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 do? You build homes. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, so, I really am glad you mentioned that. We in in this in this community, you know, you have a lot of a lot of corporate and a lot of mom and pop. And, and what I like about TRC, so when I was trying to venture out with trc the the thing that stood out the most that it's a family that owns trc is, is terry and rose carter i think that's what trc stands for but they came with I some other that. slogan that's that i'm not going to bring up you yeah. know uh trust and whatever they said it's, it's terry and rose carter that's what i say um but with that said you know um it, it it's a corporation that you can trust you know uh the the bigger the bigger people in in the field can can trust trc because of their background but also the 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 smaller people and i'm going to point out myself can trust trc because it's a family corporation um the home the home office is out of farmington and we also have a division out of uh, johnstown uh, colorado and and again like i mentioned um um, Dave Sanders, he's out of Hobbs, and, and Carlos Jaramillo and myself, we're out of West Texas, which is a Permian division out of Midland. Yeah. So, um, there again, we're just all over the place, just ready to serve and, and help anybody in our community. But what types of projects would you say you guys really excel at? Would it be like compressor stations or? So, yeah, we've done, we've done, uh, um, We've done addition. We've done add-ons to compressor stations. We've built full-on compressor stations. We've done. We've done mainline. We've done. You know, flow lines. It's just when when you're in my position um, and you know a lot of people, you don't turn down anything because you know somebody that can get it done and get it done right. Um, and with my background, my, myself, I'm a CWI also. So after mm -hmm. welding, you know, after I got out you of welding. You have your API 1169. I got my API 1169. <laughs> I got boy. my NACE level one. And um, I'm a, I've also got my license to practice out of New Mexico. And you're a project manager too. So I that a says a lot manager, about yeah. the fact that you're managing projects that you know how the work should be done. Right, exactly. And, and that's why I, I, I again, I, I just wanted to step up to the plate because uh, myself being from the field, starting from moving skids around, moving all the way up to management, 
I, I was very proud of that, and, and I wanted not to only do the work, but do it very well and efficient and, and, and turn in the good quality work that everybody wants, you know. Um, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, do you build homes? Uh, my dad did, you know, and, uh, and when you're, you're working for builders, they want a good quality product. So my background, it doesn't matter if you're building furniture or, or doing pipelines or building homes. Um, when you want a good quality product, you know, you can get it done whenever you want to and that's where we're at and you do so, it right yeah we want to do a good quality product and and again uh one my biggest slogan is probably price is what you pay and value is what you get eh, yeah sometimes but you know still value's got to be always there. you pay what you get for exactly yeah you get, the you get what you there. pay for i think i've had maybe five glasses of wine already is that it <laughs> maybe that's all we've counted. maybe Jason's given me maybe six. We're, we have tallies going. We, we, we actually stop. <laughs> you get what you pay for, free. definitely. So there's a, a value to level of service. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. the quality of the people who are doing the work and your right. equipment and everything. It's not just lowest price. It's best value f- for right, everything. Right. right. Exactly. And, that, and, that, and again, uh, going back to the whole family values of TRC, that's why I wanted to be a part of this uh this projection of family values because I like for the for the customer to call me on my personal cell phone and say, "Hey, this is wrong," or "Hey, this is right." Or, hey, excellent job. That's what I want. You know, you want to solve their problems. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. One of the things that small business right now is excelling in. Mm-hmm. Two two things we're going to talk about here. I'm, I, okay, one I want to talk about the gig economy, that whole customer service thing, and the second one is if I lose my train of thought, just just remind me welders pipe fitters and plumbers okay <laughs> just remind me of that because that was that's a highly sought out skill <laughs> well yes. okay we'll start with that so the first year that i was doing oil and gas reporting it became very clear to me at least in the bakken because north dakota you have to be certified by the state of north dakota to be a welder pipe fitter or a plumber right or electrician sorry electrician electrician mm-hmm. therefore we called them the deities and the demigods <laughs> of the Bakken because these people were sought out like there was a there was an uh, electric company we interviewed that was out of Fargo right on the east side which has no oil and gas activity mm-hmm. they stopped sending people to the western side of the state because those guys would go out for dinner mm-hmm. and get hired during dinner for right. twice as much money as they were right. making but here's the kick the electric company back in Fargo had to hire them when they came back there you because go. there was no other electricians <laughs> around. So you had electricians, you had pipe fitters and welders. They really could write their own ticket right. for a lot of different reasons, yet it was very difficult to get a high school kid to understand the opportunity behind the trade skills, the two-year degrees, if you will. How did right. you get into it? I mean, you mentioned high school, but... What advice would you have for kids and et cetera? Because that is a direction that's a legitimate direction. If people want to make a good living, mm. raise a family. Right. Don't go to college. You know, learn a, a trade. Right. And what should that trade be? Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a very good question. You know, and, and in my situation, um, I never even thought of even coming to the oil field. Again, like I said, my, my father was, was a framer. You know, he was in res, residential construction. So I, that wasn't even a thought for me or to me. But anyway, um, so why did I get into the oil field? You know, or how? A, a lot of people were, were just going in that direction, you know. And, and uh, the, reason, the reason 
or how I, I take I took that dive was that uh, there was a there was a winter time that was really slow for framers and I was a framer you know right out of high school I didn't I didn't jump right into the oil field I was a framer I built houses with my dad you know and all that good stuff um, but it was a there was that well, how year. did you transition from you know Where home construction that? To uh, that was I want to say that was. Uh, between nine and twelve? No, that was that was before two thousand eight. Uh, oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. Two thousand eight is when I got into the oil field. Okay, because I, I, I got in around ten. And it's a, actually a funny story. That I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I followed a group of welders. They're on Loop two fifty in Midland, and I followed them. And they they I followed them all the way to the shop, and I asked them for for a job. And they said, Well, hey, do, you, do what do you know how to do? And I told them everything I knew how to do: build a house. You know, roofs, pitches, angles, all that. Uh, nothing to do with the oil field, but the guy saw that, that I had a background in mathematics and he gave me an, an opportunity. And when I saw what he was doing, welding, um, I'm like, you pay how much to do what? You know, I did that in high school, you know, and for free and for a grade, you know. So, uh, you know, the transition was pretty easy. I think that I think that if you're, you're hungry, and I'm not talking about the literal hunger, but I'm talking about hungry to 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 grow in this industry. To be ambitious exactly. and you're motivated. Yeah. You can, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm gonna go back to my path. You know, um, I, I I broke out welding. I was a welder's helper. I became a foreman, and then I I went out to welding, and and after that, you know, it was all downhill. It was 12 years, 12 years worth of uh, 12 years worth of welding, and then I became a CWI. After becoming getting my CWI, um, hey, why stop there? Let's go get my 1169. Why stop there? Let's go get my NACE. And and now uh, Carlos Jaramillo, my partner out here in West Texas, he's uh, he's he's. I'm I'm probably gonna sound cliche. You're crushing. Here. Are you crushing on him right uh, now? No, no, <laughs> it, it's a little bit of a bromance, but he's an awesome, awesome project manager. Um, like a mentor or yeah he's to, just awesome how he puts yeah. his verbiages together on contracts and stuff like that and so now here i am striving for even more so back to your question i know i kind of got off topic there but um back to your we question. never do that here oh no never <laughs> never uh back to your question uh why you know why i mean what is the why you know uh, a good friend of mine uh, melissa armandaris we worked together for years and years she said, uh, "When you, when you go visit somebody's tombstone, there's that that year when you're born, and then that dash, the dash. and then the year what that happens? you die. What happened? What happened in that dash? Right. And she asked yeah. me, what does that dash mean to you? And that really hit me. And I like, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast, but I like, what a bitch. She got me thinking, you know. So no, it's because it's facts. Yeah, right? and it is, and, it yeah. is. And, that, and that's what got me striving to push more. Um, but also, you know, also to top it all off, it was a, it was easier in my situation because my wife is also in the oil and gas business. No, and talk about that. You said your fam, your whole family Our, is in, involved in oil and gas. My whole family. My my father-in-law Antonio Leva is a general superintendent for Salisbury. Uh, my wife is a general manager for Freeman. Freeman Digaho, which is a JMAC uh, company. Okay. Um, uh, Mario uh, worked. Mario Ronquillo worked years and years for 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 Holloman. Uh, we just have family all over the place. I got, I got a brother-in-law named Leo Brito. <laughs> He's a welding boss at RAC Ventures. Uh, yeah, go figure, right? We're all welders. Uh, my brother-in-law, my other brother-in-law, my my wife's sister. His name is Sergio Leva, and he's. I don't know what he does. He does some kind of big old big wig kind of stuff over there at uh at um oh it starts with the V. I can't think of the name. But anyway, we're all in the same business. But weld welders 
when people say welders, I don't know if welders get the credibility that they should because, you know, you're like, oh, I just weld stuff. But when you're working on oil and gas projects and pipelines and, you know, the, the risk associated with getting those welds right, like, that's pretty extreme, It's right? a big deal. It's a big deal. And so, you know, being a welder, like... They can make really good money. Yeah, exactly. But you also have to have the skill. <coughs> you, you do. Um, because so there's, there's a thing called x-ray. <laughs> oh, yeah, And yeah. when people x-ray your welds and you're not 100% on those welds, <laughs> then you're failing. You're failing at your job. Now you have to redo that weld. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's your like, livelihood. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. so it's not like you're failing yourself as a welder, but you're failing your company and you're costing everyone money. Yeah. So yeah. it's a highly sought-after skill. So... Uh, that's another that's another good topic that I'm I've lived in you know uh, uh, there was this inspector uh, that I worked for at Encana and he said uh, the x-ray truck showed up right they're about to shoot all of our x-rays and uh, and he said all right guys we're about to find out if you guys are some welding motherfuckers or some motherfuckers welding (laughs) Uh, excuse my language but that's what he said Um, and you know you, you learn throughout the years out there in the field and and it's very true you know have you have all these codes and guidelines you have api uh 1104 you have uh and, and i might be mistaken but a long time ago, you had 1107 rehab um b313 normal b313 severe you you know you have all these guidelines that welders need to uh need to need to follow you know and and so long story short What's up, Big Daddy? He's, oh, getting just, some, he's getting some love right now. I just had somewhere. somebody give me a big old smooch on the cheek. Uh, but, you know, and, and, and this question this question came up earlier. Hey, how much does it cost to break out? Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're probably looking at about a good $80,000 just to get the basics of what you need. But but that, that you can't get that. That's a skill. There's no price for a skill. Right. And, and not only that, but let's move for let's move let's move five years down the line. If I make a well or you make a well down the line, and and let's say it passed X-ray and it passed hydro you know hydrostatic testing, even further on down the line, let's say there's a neighborhood you know being built around this pipeline. Class and, five pipeline. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and now it becomes a risk to everybody. You know, or or to us it's not a risk, but. But in this neighborhood, they're like they're worried about this pipeline. So that's why that's why inspection is so strenuous, and that's one of the reasons why I moved forward into into the uh, inspection aspect of things because I again I want to turn in a good solid product that I'm good and and I can I, I'm not miss any sleepover and I'm proud of you know at the end of the day. So what I'm hearing is that you guys actually kind of work with the regulators and the inspectors as opposed to against them. Exactly, exactly. Which is a really important thing in today's day and age because some yes. people like to put a big middle finger on their work oh yes <laughs> absolutely uh i'd like to bring up new mexico and into this oh. <laughs> uh, we're, we're on a live podcast right now and we just got inspected <laughs> by an in- inspector and he said that we are violating uh hotness that, he said we're too hot good. and we need to go <laughs> do you want to know actually a true story so when i when i went out to dickinson keep in mind i i came unannounced Okay. Okay. Out in the Bakken oil field. And we all know the good old boys are real. Right, right, okay? right. When you got the police coming to your podcast at your food truck to, sh- to check permits that don't exist three times in a week. <laughs> 
You know somebody's targeted you, so that's what I thought was happening right now. I'm yeah. like, oh, God, I'm in flashbacks. Who's shutting me down because I didn't check with the right person I before. think they just want to be interviewed, and I we didn't so even too. ask them. No, they were cool <laughs> yeah. about it, I, but I had these flashbacks like, oh, God, am I going to jail again? <laughs> no, but they did comment on your um, heavyweight belt here. Talk about that. The heavyweight belt, the Earth's Championship belt, so you'll get a kick out of this here. So what this is here is we entered into an environmental tournament. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm i in the day and age where we're living in a day of crazy. Mm-hmm. So we got to approach crazy with crazy. Right, right, right. So I thought, you know what? We're going to enter this environmental tournament by saying that the oil and gas industry is the leader in the environmental movement. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of facts to back it up. Right. And I did. But then I also said two things. Number one, renewables ain't doable without fossil fuelable so we had a nice little rhyme and a chant yeah but the main event was that cell phones are the most dangerous polluter on the planet right now and that caught everyone's attention so oil and gas kind of just kind of went by the wayside yeah 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 but when you think about it okay so the rare earth minerals behind uh cell phones and number two you got the manufacturing and number three you got the data centers actually so every time somebody tweets or texts, you're actually a hey, global warming pal, whatever, pal. <laughs> so, you know, while well, you're drinking your Keurig and on your cell phone, Mr. Environmentalist. Right. Right. There you go, hypocrite. So we went in with that and we won. Yeah. Right. So what I did is we said, well, we're going to get a belt then. And I got my cousin actually trains uh, like Rick Rude, Vader. His name's Brad Rangins. He was a wrestler. So we called the company that makes the belts. Mm-hmm. And we said... We want the belt that Brock Lesnar wears in UFC and WWE. Brock Lesnar, okay. Oh, yeah, this is a 15 pounds of eco-authority, baby. Okay. Because we're the Earth's champion. <laughs> and we had the belt, so we go around, and, and it's working really well. We connect with kids. We connect with adults, uh, liberals, republic. It doesn't matter. It's just it's a very non-threatening, non-polarizing way to begin a conversation. Right. Social media savvy behind it and everything like that. So that's kind of the Earth's Championship belt. He's Johnny Green's not here today, but he's let us use the belt. Frackleberry Hound is under your feet as the, <laughs> as the uh, mascot. Again, and we're looking for recipes right now. For a, we're looking for recipes for a Frackleberry Hound cocktail. That's right. Mix. So if anybody wants to submit a cocktail mixture. Mixology. Mixology, you know, with various ingredients about what a Frackleberry Hound cocktail should look like. So one of our guests said, Frackleberry send, Hound, that send, sounds like send a cocktail. Your, send your submission brown. to. Studio at thecrudelife.com. It should be brown. <laughs> brown. See, okay, frac- brown. Frackleberry <laughs> Hound. Yeah. So, so two things to, yeah. uh, to go along with the Earth's title there. Um, I, w- I want to add on to this. Uh, out right out of high school well before even even before high school i was a boxer a um, boxer yes okay um, i was a boxer amateur you know um I, not ufc boxing no no boxing like straight boxing. Up boxing yeah okay. i boxed for a small club out of odessa here in odessa called uh, twin city tigers um and then i i since i was from midland i i there was another club that opened up called the midtown soldiers check them out on facebook they're all over the place uh Frank, Frank is the coach. Lalo's the brother of, of the coach, and he's a, he's he helps him out quite a bit. Um, that's what I'm doing now on my pastime um, after hours. You know, I go out there and I help out with the with the kids. Um, I won a belt about that size. Probably wasn't as heavy. It was probably plastic, 
you know, <laughs> not gold or something like that. But anyway, uh, that was in Kansas City, Missouri years ago. Um, so at the age of 24, I, I, I retired from boxing as an amateur and, and I, I made a decision, hey, I want to teach kids my craft, you know, uh, away from welding, right? This is boxing, you know, so I, I, I brought up some kids and they went all the way to the nationals and now I'm in there again. Uh, all this started because my daughter wanted to box. Well, I take that back. She didn't want to box. She had an attitude problem. I said, hey, let's get this adjusted. Yeah. Uh, some I discipline. To, yeah, I took her to the boxing yeah. gym, and she started crying out of her. I mean, she just couldn't stop crying. Uh, uh, it went great. It went great. <laughs> she went in there, and, and uh, she hated it, but now she loves it. She she absolutely she loves it. She found a way to maybe take out her yeah, it was aggression all, it was so awesome. something. She, yeah. Uh, I remember a, a simple combination, one, two, three. She just couldn't pick it up. And I told her, "Why? How come you can you can do all this TikTok, but you can't do one, two, three? And I think that hit, that kind of hit her, you know, yeah. hit her around the noggin. And she picked it up pretty fast. How old uh, is she? She's ten years old. Uh, okay. My little Julie, uh, but uh, <laughs> my huge Judy. She's 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 a big girl. She's uh, probably taller than me. I'm tall. only five foot. <laughs> yeah, she's taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, uh, just a big shout out. You know, uh, uh, again, you know, I brought up I brought up the the community you know community in the oil field but you know also we got to reach outside of the community which is which is our, our children right, and there's those the, coming the up kids. Yeah, yeah coming up you know uh, we we have the boys and girls club right next door and across the street from them we have the mid, mid the midtown soldiers which is the box club that i'm helping out at frank frank lujan man look him up he's, he's an awesome awesome coach you know and uh, and i wasn't even to go that direction but you brought up <laughs> the title belt you know and all that and those are two things that it's match. incredible because it's yeah. not like you're just you know in the oil field working to collect paycheck right, you're giving right. back to the community as well which is what we're all a part of right and, and yeah. like i said you know my whole family we're all in this oil field craziness but reaching outside of re reaching outside of the, of the oil field you know we all have a separate life you know so let's let's all reach that away and and, and it's what you do when nobody's looking it, it's what we do when nobody's looking and my wife was so crazy the other day and we're talking about two weeks ago um i was working the midst with some kids you know and she said i didn't know this side of you and she started recording me um it's just there are little things that you don't know that makes an impact you know mm -hmm. i didn't know to me it's just working the midst no big deal it's something that i do every day uh, but to a lot of people, it's a, it's a big deal. And I, when I finally understood what she was talking about, like, hey, maybe I should help out some more in the community, you know. So I, that's awesome. I just want to throw that out there. Um, um, and, and, again, you know, we're out here having a good time and barbecuing and doing ribs and all that good stuff. But we all got a life outside of this, you know. Um, let's help out with the, with the kids, you know, growing up because they're, we're going to count on them when we're all old and can't walk. <laughs> so <laughs> I just wanted to touch on that real quick, you know, since you brought up the title belt on earth. TRC Construction, once again, uh, who's your customer? Israel uh, Aguirre, how do we get a hold of you? You can give me a call at 432-210-7793 at any time. Uh, our customers right now would be uh, Kinder Morgan. Uh, a longtime customer of mine, uh, when I worked for another outfit, would be DCP. Um, we've done a lot of work for Chevron. We've done a lot of work with Diamondback. Uh, done a lot midstream, of work. midstream companies. Yeah, a lot yeah. of midstream companies. You know, Wade Johnson, uh, he works for Diamondback. We did a lot of work for him, you know, and, and we have a relationship going way back. Mm -hmm. Way back when, you know, as a welder. Um, that guy hated welders. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, I know. Uh, energy transfer, you know, we have Rod Rod Bratcher. Was, he, he, was, he was a judge here today, so that was good to see him out here having Who a good won? time. Who won today, by the way? Um, do you know? I don't, I don't know. I, 
After we got second place, I don't really care anymore. You got second place? <laughs> yeah, we got second oh, place really? on chicken. <laughs> Boy, I'm really out to We're, yeah, we're late to the party. There's been a winners announced for the cook-off today, and we don't even know who that is. So yeah, we'll have to find I, I kind of feel like I, I cheated. Um, um, we I brought on my, my buddy Gabriel Ornelas. He's uh, he's with Frank's Barbecue. And and I just wanted to... You brought a ring? No, you wanted to bring yeah, good said, food. Hey, you wanted to bring good food? Come help us out, and, and he did. It was awesome. You know, we had a good time. All of us did, you know, and so it was good to see everybody out here. What's your email address? It's uh, I-A-G-U-I-R-R-E at trc-construction.com. What is your company's website address? I don't know. <laughs> trc.com Well, just Google TRC Construction, <laughs> and I'm sure you'll be able to find I'm out them. of cars, so that's a good problem to have. But they're uh, based in Farmington, happen. but they operate in several basins, so... <laughs> If you need civil, mechanical, utility construction, lines. utility lines, give right. them a shout. Yep, that's us. We'll be back in a boat. Standing in the rain. I woke up on a diesel track outside of New Orleans. My poncho left me and I didn't know what to say. Oh, but Willie does it. It can't be bad. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, Check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to GAM.ai. That's Great American Mining, GAM.ai. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Blackwater Environmental is a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience, offering inspections, consulting, coding failure analysis, 
specification writing, and coding application services, along with many other services for energy, oil, gas, and municipalities. Blackwater Environmental was started in Moorcraft, Wyoming, but has grown to a larger facility in Gillette, Wyoming, where they provide a better quality of service for their customers. For more information on Blackwater Environmental, check out their website, blackwaterenviro.com. That's blackwaterenviro.com. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Well, all right, my friends. Good day to you. Uh, lucky for us today, we get to speak with Trisha Curtis, and she's the president and CEO of Petro Nerds. And now, Trisha, this you're based out of uh, Colorado, yes? I am. I'm based out of Denver. Very nice. Well, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be on the podcast. Very excited to get to talk with you. Uh, I've been checking out your LinkedIn the and the PetroNerds website, and I can only imagine how busy you are with all of the really good content and podcasts up on the PetroNerds website that right there for everyone to see too. So very excited to get to talk with you a little bit. Would you want to begin a, a, with uh, telling everyone how you got and started in the oil and gas industry? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. I'm actually a third generation oil and gas. So technically, my, you know, my uh, grandfather was pumped oil wells, um, mostly around Wyoming. And my, my dad also pumped oil wells around Wyoming and Southwest Colorado. And I sort of straddled the border of Colorado and Wyoming growing up. And it, I guess it was sort of in my blood. But then I went to school uh, in Denver at, at Regis University for my undergrad and did doubled in politics and economics. And then I went to London School of Economics and I was always with economics and international relations and politics. I was always really interested in oil because uh, it just didn't fit uh, nicely with supply and demand and it moved um, I mean, prices moved and supply moved. And, and so I was super fascinated about it and kind of knew I wanted to work into it uh, or work work with it and studied Russia and China and things like that and was always interested in the, in the oil side and then uh, got out of grad school and just um, was sure I wanted to work in work with an energy and particularly with an oil if I could and it was just a really tough time with a recession and, and it was 2010 and very high unemployment very hard to get a job so I, I ended up uh, buying one-way ticket to DC and uh, cold calling a bunch of energy organizations till I found the nonprofit that I ended up with which was called the Energy Policy Research Foundation. And that's really where I was very fortunate to, to learn a ton and cut my teeth on everything. Sort of the U.S. unconventional oil boom was just happening. Everything shale, the Bakken, um, and the oil sands and pipelines and sort of was able to really uh, self-teach myself a lot of stuff and, and uh, you know, figure out that I was good at presenting and, and speak with a lot of folks. And just uh, it was a huge blessing in terms of, of being able to just learn an immense amount about the industry and find out that I was uh, extremely passionate about it. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I bet you're really good at puzzles, huh? Um, you know, I don't do a lot of puzzles, but you know, maybe I should try. 
<laughs> well, I was just thinking all of the uh, analytics that you'd have to do, you know, leading up to that. So I guess what has been your favorite part of being involved in the oil and gas industry once you got to really get in into the door? Um, you know, honestly, I would say that puzzle piece or that the learning piece is the best. I mean, there's something that a lot of people I think you don't appreciate is the is just the the immense amount of information and um, the complexity of this business. I mean, anything that's a commodity is, um, you know, you can study it from a lot of different angles of from how it's produced, how it works, who actually uses it, you know, and how that gets to the, you know, the end use consumer. And then obviously, there's, you know, economic angles of pricing and hedging and everything. But oils are really unique, and especially, uh, I mean, now because of it, it is so, um, you know, it's such a politically controversial thing now, and it and it didn't necessarily used to be. Um, but that's also another, you know, really interesting dynamic about it is that, you know, this this is something that's, um, you know, that was created a long time ago um, under the ground, and the ability to extract it through uh, technological means. And that that piece of the technology is super fascinating. I mean, if I could just go work on completions, I probably would. And actually, you know, did a bit in my in a part-time job I had with Antus Exploration. And I, um, I love the completion side. I love the ability to think about how you actually, you know, pump water and sand down these wells and how this this product actually comes out. So, that's super fascinating. And the puzzle piece, I guess, of, of what type of fruit that is and, and where it goes and how it works. And I think and then pulling all the, that way up to the big stuff is or, you know, the, the best part is, is really working closely with clients and really working on the business strategy and figuring out how does this, you know, what's the information that they need to know or you need to know to really make your business hum. And a lot of folks don't necessarily understand that they do need to understand the gas industry, whether it's they're, they're kind of involved in it or sort of. Um, whether they're a service company and they're just sort of chasing rigs or they're looking at, you know, that's the data that they look at as the rigs is there's a, a an immense value in just having a, um, a deeper understanding of how the market works and, and why which oil operators, you know, why which companies are in certain areas and why they're drilling that area, whether at those depths, um, you know, is that area going to be, are they going to continue to be there? And, and you have to match up a lot of things with, with, with that information on the permitting side and, and the rig side and the activity. And you just kind of have to, it helps when you um, study it a lot and you, you know it and you can explain this information back to your clients and, and tell them this is what's going on. And, and it's, um, I think it's, it's, for me, I really enjoy the, that I actually enjoy the challenge of being put on the spot and getting really hard questions of, you know, well, why is it like this? And sometimes the best questions are, you know, the ones that are very basic or, or the most obvious that a lot of people just don't ask. And, and it's something like, well, you know, how come the Permian had got all the, you know, why did it take the Permian so long to get all the, all the love when the Bakken had it, you know, and actually having to explain that to a client and walk them through that is a, a really good thought exercise um, because a lot of us take it for granted. So I, um, you know, I just enjoy my work immensely and I'm, I'm super fortunate to uh, have been, you know, to able to survive it through this 2020 was an extremely rough year and went through a lot of changes with my business. So um, I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. Oh, I can only imagine. How, how did PetroNerds come to be? Uh, PetroNerds came to be through, so when we were, I, my colleague and I were both working at the Energy Policy Research Foundation and uh, I think my boss had often come in and just called, I mean, I would, I would stay up late and I would be at the office. It was a, a townhouse in Georgetown in DC. And, um, you know, I would 
maybe come in at 10 in the morning, but I would often be there till two in the morning if we were crashing on a project or something. And, and I think there's a, I was doing a big infrastructure project for paper and I would just stay up late and be putting sticky notes on the walls and, you know, doing all the stuff and then getting, you know, crafting something awesome and stay up late. And I think he called me, uh, I I'd have maps everywhere uh, and stuff too. And he called me a Petro nerd and the name kind of just stuck of like, we were, we were true petro nerds. Um, and then really, I think it was, the work was great, but, you know, we sort of were, we were this nonprofit doing economic policy and technical analysis on the industry, uh, which was awesome. But I think, you know, I just, it was my first real job at a, at a college and I had just sort of tapped out in terms of, you know, how much I could really learn and go. And it, it was a small organization. So I had had, you know, I, I had had quite a few job offers during that, during those five years I was there and turned them down because I, um, you know, right or wrong, I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. And I just didn't think I was going to get that flexibility and freedom at a big company. Um, now, maybe I should have taken that as, as experience, um, but I chose to stay and then I decided to start my own business. And that's um, just a you know, a lot of people probably don't appreciate the the intensity of it. Um, you know, you, you see it on LinkedIn and you see people like the digital wildcatters that I do my podcast, you know, they host the podcast. I mean, um, they're, they post on stuff like that, but you know, to quit your job and then start a business, I mean, you just have to be wired in a certain way. So I quit my job in December, 2015 and then started the business and, you know, went on with it full time in January, 2016 and moved out to Denver and wanted to bring it back, you know, wanted it base here closer to where things were actually happening. And that's, um, you know, that was 2016 and I can say it was not, uh, it was not an easy year either in the business. Cause as you know, I mean, consultants are kind of the first thing to go, um, so start Starting your business out in 2016 and then trying to get work, um, it was a unique it was a unique time. But it was it was probably really good from a, a learning experience and just like pounding the pavement. Um, and I'm one of the type of people that if you put a challenge in front of me, you know, I'm just gonna go on and take it. So that that was uh, it, I can't say it was easy. It was really really hard, um, but it was uh, a really great learning experience. Yeah, it sounds like you've had to overcome quite a bit of adversity to get to the point where you're at now. Do you think that this most recent transition? Uh, or these most recent changes, I guess, from 2020, well, actually, even since January 20th, with everything that's been going on, even in the last couple of months, do you think that that this is going to be more difficult than that 2017 uh, trials and tribulations? I mean, it's, it's interesting, because the, you know, this run up in prices, I think, is actually probably people should be a little anxious about it because it's, I think it's a little too rapid, a little too fast. So we're sort of clouded, I think by a lot of stuff that's happening within DC. Um, I think the, the oil industry probably doesn't have a really deep grasp of how serious the, um, the legislative stuff is going to be and how, um, how intense really that, you know, Washington and the White House are um, on, on their views of the oil and gas industry um, and that it is going to definitely be an uphill battle. And I have been on the record for saying this for a while. I just it's it's kind of impossible to listen to uh, to listen to how the White House is speaking and, and what they're saying and also to read through the executive orders to not come to that conclusion. Um, and it is a little shocking to me that that's not what I'm hearing and feeling from the oil industry itself is that they're sort of prepared for that. Um, so in that sense, I would say that, you know, hopefully uh, you, those folks in the industry, um, you know, listen to the podcast and they, you know, eventually bring me into the boards and talk to them and, and have a, you know, are willing to sort of listen to a, a, a different side of this of somebody who's you know thinking about what could happen and how you sort of assess the risks and how you sort of prepare for that but i think 2020 was 
such a unique um i mean it was a black swan event you couldn't you couldn't necessarily really predict it i mean nobody could have really predicted oil prices going negative because in fact cme group changed the rules the weekend before to allow them to go negative i mean so there was a you know series of events that that came together and i think that Prices actually going negative and, and then, you know, April and May and how low prices were. And I think that also jarred the industry significantly. So it's something that um, the, you know, OPEC and the Middle East are sort of real from as well is that, you know, they had been very adamant and serious on not letting prices go below 50. And now I think they've sort of let them get a little too hot. But that the reason not going below 50 was for the same reasons the operators in the U.S. felt massive pain you know in the spring months of last year which were just really really hard and then the sort of service industry had to deal with that as well right so people were saying well how come the rigs aren't coming back faster and how come faster and how come the fracking fleets are coming back faster and a lot of that was simply because you had come from such low points that people were so i mean you're you're just your your brain is jarred your analytical trajectory of how things are going to look and there was a massive fear that was going on there. And, and that's something that, you know, I do wish that um, I was able to work with more folks. I mean, a lot of people just that you're not paying for analysis, you're not paying for somebody to talk to. But really, it was the time that you should have been working. It was really the time that you should have uh, stayed course and, you know, held your guns. And really, yes, it's scary. And yes, prices crashed. But have they done that before? Yes. And is that the time that you should drill and complete your wells? Maybe not necessarily produce them. It absolutely is. Um, and so it, it was, you know, that's, that's what the industry does. They sort of duck and cover. But um, there's there was folks that we saw. Obviously, if you've seen the rig count and you look at who has brought those rig backs, they're pretty tiny companies. You know, there are a lot of small companies, private, still private equity companies, private players in the Permian that brought, you know, one and two rigs back relatively early. And so they were able, you know, to capture those low prices and, and to go in on it. And I think that's honestly a, a super smart move. And and obviously it looks smart for anybody who's bringing on wells today, you know, at these price levels. And I think that's just something people have to appreciate, too, is that 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 massive gyration in oil prices that, you know, high oil prices are not uh, they're not necessarily they're not the answer. Um, and I think folks need to get very comfortable with realizing that these prices are, are not the answer for long term stability. Yeah, I, I guess with that being said, based on our current trajectory, what is it that you think our recovery is going to look like? I mean, this is the, you're in the recovery to an extent. I mean, this is the recovery. It's just, I don't think people thought the recovery would have this high oil prices. And it's sort of, you know, you still have operators referencing $50 oil in their earnings calls because that's what they're sort of basing everything off of and then saying that they're going to give everything on top to their shareholders. And that's true to an extent. I don't think it's true to every small operator. So I think you have this sort of, everyone just getting used to this and, and, and trying to feel the security behind it. Um, but this is, you, you are in recovery mode. And I think you just have to, I don't think it, it's not likely that prices are going to correct massively and go below 50 and, and hit 40 again. I think we really saw that, you know, where price levels, even after, after prices went negative in April, we sort of came back to this 40 range and we were stuck there. And that was really with, even with all the demand coming off and, and all the supply coming off, that was sort of where we were landing. And so I think now it's just, we have to be careful that 
there is about 8 million barrels a day sitting on the sidelines with OPEC plus and they will ha- have to come back. And I, uh, something that the market missed, I mean, the market's been wanting to trend higher. You know, we have uh, the flip in the market where we, we have treasury yields going higher and we have tech stocks and Tesla selling off and we have this flip into, um, into, you know, the cyclicals and, and, and we have this reflation trade and everybody isn't worried about inflation and crude oil prices going up are a huge component of that. I mean, in addition to this, this massive, you know, nearly two trillion dollar stimulus bill and higher oil prices. I mean, this is this is real inflation, and and people are seeing it in copper prices and lumber. And um, when you see oil prices go up that fast, I mean, that's something a consumer feels, and that's a that's inflationary pressure. And I think that that's a concern for that's a concern for a lot of economists, but it's a concern for these emerging markets accepting the you know trying to buy these barrels. And it's something that OPEC really has to consider is that you know they will start they will quickly be cooling off that demand pull that they were getting. Um, and in this recent OPEC meeting, they actually allowed, which was not publicized. And, you know, the storm that we had in Texas with taking 3 million barrels a day offline um, and the refineries, you know, there's still some that are, are are not back up to full speed. That's all helped propel oil prices higher. And I thought sort of act as the catalyst the last several weeks. Um, and then, and then there was a, you know, a, a an attack on one of the Saudi facilities, which didn't actually out, nothing actually happened, but it was a, an attempted attack. Um, and so all this sort of let prices go a little bit higher, but it seems to me like traders are taking it there. The problem is, is that these barrels on the sidelines are going to want to come back. And OPEC plus basically did allow Russia an extra couple hundred thousand barrels a day that they'll be bringing online in, through April. And then also Kazakhstan just a little bit. It's not a ton of crude, but we're talking you know, probably around 300,000 barrels a day. And the reality too is these, you know, these, this agreement, this OPEC plus agreement is very unique in that um, they've done a decent job in keeping the cohesion together of the group, but it's structured in different ways. And so when you start looking at the actual numbers, they are exporting a decent amount of crude. I mean, the Saudis didn't completely drop their exports by 1 million barrels a day with this cut that they said they didn't in, in January. And then they're also, you know, they allow these countries to, um, to eat, condensate is removed from those the crude numbers so typically they would have had to really focus on natural gas and they would have had to cut back on natural gas production because that would have um that would impacted condensate production and since they haven't had to do that they've been able to ramp up natural gas production and ramp up condensate production and kind of offset some of the crude losses and so really when you're looking at that the supply has been you know not quite as low as some realize and and that's that's supportive in a way that that the demand side has you know supported that and the market has supported it but i think at these levels and the reason crude is trading higher um you know crude price stability is equally as important as um as as the the overall absolute level of price for operators and that's just something that folks really have to take into account and i you know hedging people are being ripped right now for, for actually having hedges in place and hindsight's 2020 it's easy to say that but if prices drop 10 bucks tomorrow those hedges are going to look really good and i think it's it's super important if you're private equity backed or you know you're trying to have any kind of stability is, is hedging plays a really nice role i mean you should you should layer it in but it's it's just an important element to this and and no one can no one could quite predict that we were going to be at nearly $70 oil prices at this point um given the state of events and and how it's been traded up no, of course not. And I've actually uh, read a few things that would suggest that the prices are actually going to keep going up and not st- stabilize any time in the near future. Um, at least not through the not not until the end of summer. It's a couple of things that I've read, but uh, 
But obviously, I'm I'm excited to get your take on on this. I guess in my mind, I was thinking uh, getting into recovery rather than being into recovery because in my in my brain, the energy industry had taken such a huge hit towards the end of January that it was kind of like being sent back into a re-recovery, if that makes sense. Once everything got shut down, uh, such as the Keystone XL pipeline, which I had noted in one of your podcasts, you'd said you had been working on almost from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, I would just say it's, it's this, look, what, what OPEC has done in these price moves that we've seen, um, the, nobody expected actually this last, this past week that OPEC would not bring any barrels back. And so I did think it was a little, it was kind of cheap of them to not, you know, to, that the, the media did not cover that they allowed Kazakhstan and Russia to increase those barrels. I think they did that probably on purpose. They they probably kept Kazakhstan and Russia quiet um, and wanted them to to play that down so that they could just say, hey, we're extending these cuts. And obviously crude surged on that because everybody thought they were going to start bringing some barrels back, whether it was 500,000 yeah. barrels a day or the Saudis were going to bring a million. So that unexpectedness just gives me a lot of caution for it's, you know, in April, they may say we're bringing 500,000 barrels a day. They may say we're bringing a million barrels a day back. Um, so I think that just gives me a lot of caution and, and not to pause, but to realize that, you know, you, you just have a lot of pent up barrels sitting there that are, that are ready and willing to come back. And, you know, when the India, you know, when India starts getting louder and louder and countries start getting louder about, you know, prices going up and they're in recovery mode, it's going to impact the demand side. So, you know, there is not unlimited demand at certain price decks. And I think that they have, like, it, it's already impacting the Indian economy and our, it's already, you know, if, you, if you're following Bloomberg or you're staying up late at night and you're watching this, it's like the uh, GDP trajectories of India are, are being changed right now because of the price of oil. So I, there's a sweet spot in which they sort of need to hit. Um, on Keystone Excel and, and the administrative moves, those are, you know, huge the Keystone Excel was largely a very symbolic move and, you know, obviously hadn't even moved forward with within the four years of the Trump administration after he sort of reapproved that permit. And it just it didn't take place. So, I mean, whether or not that was going to get built is a whole nother question. It, it was the most viable of all the you know Canadian pipelines to get built. And and truthfully, you know, they do still need a one major pipeline because it's it's extremely important and. And any energy transportation, whether it's crude or, or you know, propane or NGLs or anything um, or natural gas or, or whether it's electricity, you need redundancy in the system. Um, and it's important to have those pipelines. So the fact that Keystone Excel is not going to get built, um, that's one thing. But if then if we have the Dakota Access Pipeline gets emptied and and then if Line 5 and Bridge Line 5 gets emptied, if any of those happen or, you know, and, and a different pipeline is emptied, it starts changing the the map and the uh, of the how crude flows within North America, um, and it has an impact. And um, you know, Keystone Excel. So that was a symbolic move. But then when you had the um, the order for the suspension of delegated authority from the by the acting Secretary of Interior, Order Number Three Three Nine Five, that was a you know that was the suspension that uh, it was suspension of delegated authority basically limited a lot of folks from doing anything but it included the suspension of, of permitting on federal land um and and then you had the executive order that came out um so that was all day one within hours and then you had the executive order come out the following week on january 27th that basically was the executive order on climate change which did explicitly list um basically a, a it wasn't a permanent ban, but it was a it was a ban for as long as they were doing extensive review um, and studying on federal lands. And so they basically, you know, 
extended that that uh, suspension on federal land. And the White House has cl- had clarified m- many times um, in their press conferences that they intended that to be permanent. So I, I, it's it's still mind boggling to me that people are are on the fence of understanding where they intended to be. Now, could they change their minds? Yes, possibly they could change their minds. Um, but that's not the direction. And the, there is nothing um, that's happened in D.C. that would from an energy standpoint, from an oil standpoint, that would lead me to believe that they um, are going to, they're looking to to give a, to help out the oil industry in, in any shape or form. Yeah, it's, well, it seems like that's not really their goal, though, right? Because all of these changes came about with the specific goal of combating climate change is, is the way that I had understood it. Do you think that it's, they're going to be uh, getting to their goal with this method? Do you think that this is going to help? No, I don't. I mean, it's it's absolutely not. So they're using climate change as a um, they're using climate change as a reasoning for doing this, and I'm I'm troubled by that because if it's then we're talking about CO two emissions, so it should be about CO two emissions. And and I I put this article on LinkedIn and 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 I've quoted a few times because you know the Economist wrote it, it's not it's not a bias or really unbiased article either. It's 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 an article explaining you know Biden's climate change agenda. Um, but it very clearly points out that uh, what he's that he has one of the first the first way of tackling climate change is to go after oil and gas production. And so if you're going after oil and gas production to tackle climate change um, and it, then and you're going after the it's the emissions, the em- emissions from the industry only contribute one percent of, of CO2 emissions. So that's not you're you're unfairly attacking that industry. Now, clearly, that's symbolic, right? It's it's they are producing the oil and gas. But the problem is we have countries all over the world, including Australia and Norway and Canada, who are. Um, you know, a wholeheartedly have, have climate change agendas, have, um, are part of the Paris Climate Accords, and yet they produce oil. And, and I don't know if all those are part of the Paris Climate Accords, but they produce oil and gas. And they are not, you know, taking a back seat in that stance. They're not reducing their production or hampering it. And so it's really interesting to me that even the most aggressive and most liberal countries in Europe have not done what, you know, have not tried to do what this administration is trying to do. Um, and so it is, it is absolutely... Um, an, a biased and unfair thing to attack oil and gas production on the basis of emissions. And and it just means that you're going to be importing, you know, I, I think it's probably the, the opponents or folks on the other side of this probably get tired of hearing it, but it's very true. I mean, if you're not producing it here in the U.S., you are importing it um, unless you're substantially reducing your, your, um, your demand. And there's nothing in those executive orders other than trying to push through a massive amount of EVs, electric vehicle uptake, which is a whole nother issue on, on outsourcing energy security. But we, part of these executive orders and part of the stimulus package that's actually, you know, pushed all this inflation is, you know, everybody's going crazy about electric vehicles and the components. And we are going to see a huge boom in mining, not just, I mean, all over the world. I doubt it will really happen in the, in the U S to a large extent because of the environmental stringencies in the U S but Mining for cobalt and mining for nickel and mining for um, all the battery components lithium, and, earth metal yeah. and lithium. And, and lithium is one thing. I mean, we've kind of been mining for a long time, but it, 
cobalt is a huge is a huge component as well. So not just battery components, but stuff that you know it's it's batteries and it's solar panels and it's it's wind turbines and it's all the stuff that goes into it. And so it's a huge that that in itself, just that that impetus and that demand is creating massive inflationary pressure. And so the cost components of that are going to go up, and almost none of those are made in the U.S. So um, and it's it's just important to realize is that you know we can build all the charging stations and everything that we want, and that that's not necessarily a bad thing for an infrastructure boom and for jobs and everything. But you're not sourcing. If you're not sourcing those batteries and stuff, you're you're sourcing elsewhere. And you know, it's a, it's a real thing for energy security. It's stuff that you know the 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 thinkers on this stuff from a policy perspective need to be thinking about. Is that you know, and and China has done a really good job of sort of positioning themselves to be the maker of these products and to be exporting them. Um, and so we're sort of we're we'll be sort of outsourcing that. But it's not necessarily none of it's real yet. So this is all very, you know, this is talk, these are in executive orders. And so it's very theoretical. And yet the market's already moving on it. And so it has just really significant implications, I think, for, you know, the overall economy of how it's going to unfold. It, it sounds really great on paper, I think it's going to be exceptionally messy. And then another part of this, that climate change executive order is decarbonizing the grid by 2035, like basically having it a net zero. And a lot of things that people don't think about are carbon capture. And I think you could you could probably do that with some carbon capture. But if it's being all done through renewables, you know, and I'm not hearing a lot of love on the carbon capture side out of D.C., at least, um, or policymakers. And they're just again, there hasn't been a whole lot of clarity on this is that you're going to try to rapidly decarbonize the grid. And, you know, most of us got a little savvy with the grid in this big Texas storm and, and the subsequent storms thereafter. So if you pull up the grids and you see the actual power source and you, you look at the U.S., it's, you know, Texas has a lot of natural gas. And but because they have that natural gas, they've also been able to have a lot of renewables because the natural gas sort of helps offset that in, in a time situations and the rest of the u.s is still predominantly coal and so to decarbonize the grid that rapidly is going to have some very fast and jarring implications um and just all these things impact you know people's jobs and livelihoods and the economy um and this is not something this is new i mean i i was i've been listening to a bunch of podcasts on and doing research on india and you know they have such a huge coal base of of the of people that work and live in coal, um, and so the you know when they're thinking about how to how to get off coal and to to just change up the grid, it's extremely complex. Not just because um, it's entrenched within their e- economy and their culture and their communities, um, it, it's it just that it's something that they use and consume, and and there's no easy way to just turn on you know to flip it. Mm-hmm. And it's no different than here. We this is a we just. It's a big, you know, country with a lot of, you know, these separate states. And I think we we often look to Europe and think of how it's been done there. And, you know, it's it's been done in some ways. But I mean, Germany still has um, still consumes coal because they have a very strong constituency uh, that produces coal in part of their country. And they have never been able to get rid of that. Um, and they still produce it. I mean, the UK is actually opening a deep sea coal mine for the first time in years, a new one um, that's not publicized and not talked about, but it's because they, they're, I think it's, it's actually, it's offshore and it's not going to power, but it is going to steal. Um, and it's just kind of fascinating to me that the UK is going ahead with a new power, you know, a new coal plant when we, you know, in the U S we're, you know, we're attacking um, oil and gas production and it just, it, this, this stuff has happened in history before. And it, and it, um, you know, when you, when you flip this hard one direction, you typically have to flip back another direction. And I just, I don't think these things are going to come out um, nice and cleanly in reality. 
No, it sounds like we might be looking at a little bit of turbulence. Kind of kind of also sounds like even with these executive orders, we still don't really know exactly what's going to end up uh, happening once the implementation occurs because of different varying issues that maybe haven't been thought of. Although I did see that uh, Senator Manchin had come out in support of the coal part of our energy industry. And it sounds kind kind of like uh, you, you had mentioned the uh, carbon capturing or the carbon sequestration. It kind of sounds like uh, in places like Wyoming and North Dakota that they're kind of going to be focusing more so on the carbon capturing through through coal or with coal or um, it's it, it was pretty fascinating. I've heard I've heard b- snippets, tidbits. But uh, obviously, I'm I'm no professional. <laughs> no, and you know, it's something that's been, that's the thing is like, you know, I've been in this industry and for years. And so people have, you know, what what is old always becomes new again. And what people say is like, that's impossible. Nothing's impossible from a technological standpoint. You know, and so people said five years ago, the carbon capture is dead. I mean, I heard people, very smart people that have done work on carbon capture ever saying this is completely dead. It will never get off the ground. It hasn't been invested in it. It's not technologically viable. It's not cost effective. Well, you know, when you when you put a bunch of executive orders and you underwrite this stuff and you have money flowing to it, all of a sudden it becomes really interesting again. And it's basically to get to the emission targets that anybody wants to in the world, whether it's two degrees or whether it's 1.5 or whatever it is, you have to have carbon capture in there. It's impossible. Um, you will not hit it. Um, frankly, you're not going to hit it unless you address India and China. And we're not going to hit it. We're not even going to get close to it by just doing what we're doing in the U.S. So, you know, all our efforts really need to be probably abroad, but that's that's not politically palatable and nobody wants to talk or, or say that. So we just focus everything on here. Um, and it's ways to drive different infrastructure and investment. But carbon capture in itself is, I mean, it makes sense, a lot of sense because you can, um, but it is really expensive and it hasn't been done at scale. Um, and in theory, you could be doing it off power plants and you could be um, what they're doing in the Permian and what Occidental and Vicky Holub are promoting and have been promoting for years is is the using CO2. Um, you know, obviously they're reinjecting CO2 for enhanced oil recovery, and then they're basically making those barrels zero. You know, a zero carbon barrel. It's that because they're capturing all the carbon that's in the production cycle of that. So that um, they actually teamed up with United, and United is getting barrels from them that have a zero carbon because United is trying to lower their carbon footprint. But you know. And I'm not saying the efforts of all this, but you do have to ask yourself, what are the costs of all these things? And do they actually, technically, over the life cycle of everything, are they actually lowering the footprint? Because it, I, I don't know exactly how all that's being measured. But, you know, if we're talking about a Tesla vehicle, you know, if you're actually, you know, looking at the life cycle emissions of how you make that vehicle, if it's not less on a carbon footprint standpoint, and then if I'm plugging into my house, you know, and I have 33% coal in my house, and that's the power, um, then I, I, you know, that doesn't actually have a lower carbon footprint. So if it's a pure electric grid or something, or if I'm, you know, have it, if I have a battery, and it's being powered by the sun, that's different. But I mean, doing all this stuff, um, and it's just, it's, it's not something that I'm, I'm ixnaying or poo-pooing it is that it's just, you know, renewables do have a place and, and, you know, technology is awesome. And I, I love it in the oil and gas sector, but you have to be conscious of what's actually happening. It's, it's no different than saying if, you know, the industry is doing something wrong, is calling them out on it and then doing a better job. And the industry can do a lot better job in terms of addressing emissions and, and dealing with that stuff. And I think they are. I mean, the impetus on the industry is doing this. But I think that the fairness is that you need to say, okay, we're going to regulate you. Here's the regulations, and they'll go comply with them. This industry will do that. They're extremely innovative, and they will rise to the challenge. But putting out, you know, legislation that is 
that is undeterminable and, and it has yet to be implemented and putting all these question marks out, it's very hard to navigate and do business. The basics of anything of doing business, um, you have to have stability and predictability and executive orders that are written like this do not create stability and predictability. And frankly, they create, they, they're already creating chaos and, and wreaking havoc on the market of, of this, you know, electric vehicle boom and, and everybody going crazy because they think this is going to, to be awesome. And the same thing you can read it for offshore wind is that everybody's going bananas about offshore wind. There's only a few places in the U.S. where offshore wind technically works and where you actually have the wind and you can do it. And it still hasn't, you know, to have that offshore wind, you have to have very reliable and stable large cycle combined, you know, combined natural gas facilities on the power side um, and in the Northeast to basically accept that wind. And I, you know, a little certain we may not have those or I'm not certain we're ever going to build a new one. Um, if we're so anti fossil fuels, will we ever build a new, are we going to continue to use our, our one, our existing now? And we have a lot of natural gas combined cycle facilities and power, but are we going to continue to use them efficiently? And just because we have them doesn't mean that everything's in the right location, you know, and, the, right. and I think, you know, no, knowing where your natural gas is produced and knowing where the pipelines are, and, you know, if you are burdensome on the regulatory environment or you can never build a new pipeline, you can impact that production, you can impact that stability and predictability or the economics of things. And that's all really important for, you know, natural gas is going to be a critical comp component of, of the uptake of these renewables on the grid side. Yeah. You, wow. Yeah, no, it's a... Uh, I, I totally lost a whole bunch of my thoughts and I've been writing down and taking notes. You've got so much information I could probably sit here and listen to, to it for hours because this is a, a, a you have a very unique perspective on on what is happening simply because you get to work with all of this information on a daily basis. So that's yeah, that's a lot of things for uh, I, I hope somebody is listening. Someone else is listening <laughs> in the industry, too, so that maybe maybe there'll be good, good stuff coming from it, because, yeah, it's it kind of sounds like maybe the focus should be a little bit different in order to take a real sustainable approach to uh, making a positive change on this. But I guess until then, like you said, we'll just have to continue focusing on what what we're able to do here. Yep. I think it's a lot of studying and learning, and I appreciate those. Those are kind of words, and I, I did ramble on for a long time, so um, I, I People probably have to play this back on slow speed, but um, yeah, it's 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 what you know. Fortunately, I I, I love what I do, and so studying it. Um, and I, I think that you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at this pretty negatively, but I think there's a lot of ways to study it and sort of work around it, you know. And it does create a lot of opportunity, and there are ways to navigate this. Um, so it just that you know, you have to be smart, and you have to have your ear to the ground, and you have to be you know willing to sort of bust your ass and and make it work. Yeah, well, and I, I think that's true of, of anything, but it's uh, right now in the in the industry, I can't imagine that it's going to get any easier for a moment. So yeah, busting butt and, and keeping up, <laughs> keeping that motivation and perseverance, I think is going to be the real key. Actually, on that note, because uh, I, like I said, I know you're probably pretty busy, but is there anything exciting coming up for, with uh, Petro Nerds? You know, we've done, I've done a lot in the past, you know, sort of revamping over last fall. The PetroNerds.com has a new website and a new logo. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, it, you know, it's a small company, but definitely punch above our weight. And um, I'm speaking at the, or already spoken, it's recorded, but Digital Wildcatters has an Evolve conference that's on the 10th. And so I did a recording and, and with a, the uh, Chip Moliner, I'm going to get his name wrong. He's he's the head of Law IQ, or now called Arbo. And so we, we talked a lot about DAPL and the next evolution of oil and gas transportation. Um, so actually, a lot of this stuff we really get in the weeds on on the 
on the Dapple and Enbridge Line 5 stuff, um, which was a great conversation. And yeah, expect big things from from Petrons this year. I'm I'm off to the races and I, you know, really enjoying the podcast and I want to get some some heavy hitters actually, you know, talk with some CEOs and, and get involved in stuff. And um, I probably need to spend a little more time in Houston and doing stuff. And I've actually really enjoyed the I've since I've started the podcast, I've been invited on a lot of other people's podcasts, which has been super fun. So I really appreciate you taking the time um, and chatting with me. I love the business and I love talking about this stuff and um, and I love helping people and I love educating. So um, expect more of that, oh, I guess. I'm excited to hear that then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you are extraordinarily knowledgeable. So no, it was a joy listening to what you had to say. And if there's any, you know, big updates or anything that you would like shared, you feel free to let me know and I would love to get that word out there too. So anyone listening, if you haven't been to the Petro Nerds website, make sure you get up there. It is a really cool looking website. You did a great job on the design too. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um so the website, so you can follow me on LinkedIn because I do post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. Great way to get in t- touch with me. And then I'm on Twitter as Trisha J Coffee as well. Um, a lot of late night posts on OPEC stuff. So I mean you can nice. follow me on there, but feel free to, you know, reach out to me in any of those forms. Nice. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Trisha. I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. No, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Anytime. Sounds great. I'll hold you to it and hopefully we'll get to talk again then. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, my friends, that was Trisha Curtis, the CEO and president of PetroNerds. Make sure to go and check out PetroNerds.com if you haven't already. There's great content up there. It's a good-looking website, highly knowledgeable in the industry, obviously, as you just heard. And if you do like the content you just heard, there's more to find on TheCrudeLife.com. So make sure to check that out as well. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at TheCrudeLife.com. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as 
accidents. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can see for my 20 companies, they take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk about Women's History Month. Every March since 1987, Congress and U.S. presidents have designated this month as Women's History Month. This year, the Crude Life celebrates and honors their accomplishments and vital contributions in history with interviews and stories that center around women's experiences in industry. These women are not only modern-day leaders, but they are truly historic as well. Up next, we talk with Kate Hornbrook of Ace Completions. Today, we feature Marlette Dumas, PMP, Senior Project Risk Management Engineer from BP. At first, my parents always pushed us for math and science. We grew up in an area that was very mixed racially, so they just thought, you know, what's the best chance for our kids? And so they always just pushed math and science. So I can remember from very, very early on that that the education somehow was just incredibly important. And I belong to a group that now is similar to STEM, TSTM, but it's now called STEM. And so just even when I was in high school, that has always been the thing for us. And my mom had introduced me to a physics laboratory run by the government. And I started out as a physicist. And I didn't want to be stuck in a room by myself all day. So eventually I, I changed my major to mechanical engineering. And I thought that renewables was the way to go at the time. But that was like 25, 30 years ago. And it hadn't quite caught on yet. So I thought, okay, I still want to be in energy. And that's when I began to meet companies like BP and Shell. And I just naturally gravitated toward mechanical engineering on the projects side. So I've been doing it for quite some time. And there were not very many women and definitely not many people of color. But I, I just... I started there and I just hung in there and it's probably gotten somewhat better, of course, over the years. But that's how I got started as a project engineer, a facilities engineer, actually, with BP here in Houston, Texas. And I've been doing that ever since. So at first, I think they were doing it because they were really trying hard to diversify their workforce. And some people might have said things like, you know, they hired you because you're an African-American woman or whatever. But my father always told me, hey, it doesn't matter how you get in. Just make sure you do a great job once you get there. To listen to the full length interview with Mark. Let Dumas from BP or to check out other crude life interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Please join us all month long as we celebrate Women's History Month here at The Crude Life. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by It Takes an Industry to Build a Forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com.